Cool. Well, uh, nutritional secondary hyperparathyroidism. Um, this is how I started the presentation. We touched on it um, a couple of months ago, actually, when we sat and talked with Pete Comiskey. Um, but anyway, what a mouthful. So no question as to why we call it big head. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Haley and Maddie as well. Um, and we'll just be running through a little bit of the info and some of the Q&A um, at the end is actually quite interesting. So I'm pretty keen to, to get all started. So Maddie, it's all up to yeah. you. So straight to it. So the signs of big head. So for those of you that don't know, there's a few typical signs um, that we do see in horses that are exhibiting these this big head. Um, so one of them is stiffness. So stiffness in their, in their gait, um, changes in behavior. So most of us are with our horses every day. So if you notice any listlessness, if they're dull, crankier, um, this might be another sign. They're, they get a dull coat, um, loss of weight, shifting lameness, and the most prominent one is your swollen facial bones when it gets to that extreme case of big head. So there were two main causes of big head. Um, so for those of you who don't know, if there is an imbalance of calcium to phosphorus ratio, um, this is when these signs will occur. So in your young horses, you want this ratio to sit to about one to one or three to one. Um, however, in your mature horses, you want it higher up to about your six to one ratio there. Um, the second cause is the consumption of high oxalate grasses, which is what we'll mainly touch on with this um, webinar. So the calcium to oxalate ratio must be at least 0.5 to one. And that is really, really important to remember. Yeah. Um, so let's have a little talk about calcium. Um, so calcium, 99% of calcium within the body is actually inside of the bones. The 1% of calcium that's within um, the horse's body is elsewhere. So within the blood, um, within the tissue, that sort of thing. Um, and calcium comes constitutes 35% of horses' bones. So 35% makeup of those bones is actually calcium. So that's actually quite a significant amount. Um, calcium is absorbed in the small intestine and it is essential for muscle function and also nerve function as well. Um, but I just wanted to point out here what's actually a vital muscle within our body. Um, of course, that's our heart. So calcium is so vital for heart function and that is why horses in particular um, are so good at maintaining the homeostasis or maintaining that level of calcium within the blood um, just to keep these organs going properly, keep your muscle function normal um, and also, yeah, cell membrane function as well. Um, so if we have a look at the next one, uh, other factors affecting um, calcium absorption. So the, the different um, concentrations of calcium and phosphorus um, have an impact on how well calcium is actually absorbed from the small intestine. Um, presence of phytates and oxalates as well, as we touched on, and we will elaborate quite a lot about oxalates. Um, so they're both just compounds that may bind to calcium to make it unavailable or less available to animals. Um, as calcium concentrations increase, um, the efficiency of absorption tends to decrease. Uh, and that can be put down to the fact that when calcium concentrations are actually quite high within the diet, horses don't need that much. So they're not going to keep absorbing, say, 50, 70, 100% of the calcium that's in the diet um, because they just don't need that much. So their efficiency of absorption will actually decrease. Um, and uh, one study actually that we read in... Um, 
coming through, you know, developing this bit of a presentation, they actually found they fed more calcium in an alfalfa or lucerne based diet, um, and the absolute absorption of calcium was actually higher, um, even though the absorption efficiency was a little bit lower. And also varying requirements through stages of life, um, through growth and training. So as your horses get older, their efficiency do decreases as well. Um, okay, so ensuring your horses receive adequate calcium intake. This one was for you, Maddie. Yes, so this is something really important to touch on because there's, everyone knows there's the mineral blocks out there that we can use and we feel good, we're like it's there, they can lick it, they can do what they want with it. However, if you want to ensure that they're actually getting the most effective amount of calcium and the correct amount of calcium, you're much better having a calcium supplement that's mixed with their grain. Um, you can mix it in with something more palatable. So most horses love molasses. Um, so we sometimes mix that in to just make sure they actually are consuming that recommended amount. Um, so we do say to avoid the free choice calcium supplements. However, it does get a little harder when you've got lots and lots of horses in the paddock. So we'll touch on that a little bit later too, I think. Um, you also want to have that correct balance of the calcium cofactors, um, which Haley has sort of spoken a bit about the vitamin D. Um, and there's also zinc, vitamin K2 and magnesium. Yeah, yeah. So if we could just go back to that one, please. Um, so vitamin D, there was actually one really interesting study that I did read. Um, vitamin D is accepted to play a role in mediating the uptake of calcium from the small intestines. Um, but there was actually one study where they intoxicated horses with vitamin D. And what they found was calcium levels didn't actually spike like they thought that they would. Um, so it's, there is some kind of theory that maybe vitamin D plays a different role in uh, calcium absorption, uh, mediation of calcium absorption, but nonetheless, that can't be confirmed with the amount of studies that have been done because there's such limiting studies on horses. So that's something to maybe be mindful of in the future when more studies are undertaken. Um, however, that's the accepted thing is that vitamin D does mediate uptake of calcium. So we're going to keep, um, keep relying on that and keep focusing on that as being quite an important cofactor as well. Uh, so phosphorus. Phosphorus constitutes 14 to 17% of the horse's bones. So not quite as much as your calcium. Um, it's essential for energy transfer and utilisation uh, within the body and synthesis of phospholipids, nucleic acids and phosphoproteins, which are a whole bunch of really big words. Um, <laughs> but it, let's just accept the fact that they, they're really important for, for cell function, for normal, um, you know, for normal function within the body. And uh, more phosphorus than calcium actually blocks the uptake of calcium. So when Maddie mentioned the, the ratios before of calcium to phosphorus, she said that the young horses can be one to one to one to three, so more calcium than phosphorus, um, and mature horses can be one to one up to one to six, uh, sorry, six to one, I get it right. Um, so they can have a, a larger variety, but still definitely more calcium than phosphorus to allow that uptake. Okay, now these are really fun. Um, if anyone joined us a few weeks ago, uh, we actually had these graphs um, 
with heaps more information on feeding the horses through the ages. Um, there is recordings of that one, I believe, Mitch, on our YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this is actually really quite a cool graph. So this is for um, pregnant and lactating mares. So as the mare, after the mare foals and starts lactating, I've changed it to green. And uh, this information was gathered from the um, National Research Council. So you can see uh, through the pregnancy, calcium requirements do increase from about 20 up to sort of mid to high 30s um, grams per day. But then as soon as your mare starts lactating, there's a huge jump up to nearly 60 grams per day. So that's a massive, massive calcium requirement. Um, and it decreases throughout lactation, but it's still higher six months through lactation than it is at 11 months of gestation. Um, and the same um, calcium requirements of growing horses as well. So you can see there, young horses need quite a lot of calcium as well. And that's not quite as high as your lactating mare though. You're sort of looking at your um, high 30s, 39 grams per day for a four month old foal, because um, they'll be growing quite, quite rapidly in that time. And then that decreases over time. And you can also see with the addition of exercise as they do get older, it doesn't have as big an, of an effect um, you know, as lactation does on mares. But yeah, looking at that 40 grams per day for the young ones and then down to about the sort of mid-30s um, as maintenance for the rest of the time. You can see the importance with that, especially with your, the guys that are associated with breeding and growing, how important it is with your brood mares and young horse to get that right. Um, obviously, it does have an impact with everything, even with performance horses, but definitely with the young horse, um, trying to get that story absolutely correct. Yeah, definitely. And we do actually touch on that a little bit later too with, um, with the uh, consumption of oxalate grasses. Um, that's all right, Maddie, we can go back to the other one. So um, with performance horses, looking at that one a little bit closer, looking at the horse at rest um, on the far left-hand side, you can see most horses, and these are based on a 500 kilo horse, um, need about 20 grams of calcium per day. And as you um, add exercise into that horse's regime, um, their requirements can actually double. Um, so still something something important to consider throughout a working horse's life as well. Now it's up to about 40 grams. So, um, sorry Maddie, I'm really still in the limelight here. I think I stole a couple of slides. But <laughs> so right, you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, young, rapidly growing horses are one of the most um, at-risk types of horses that you have out there. So, as Mitch said, for any of the breeding and growing people. Um, so calcium absorption efficiency, as I said before, um, it is higher for younger horses and it decreases with maturity. Um, but calcium absorption is generally about 50% um, with efficiency. So that's the, the normal accepted, but it can vary quite a lot. Um, and it has been um, seen up to about 70% efficient. Um, and then uh, lactating mares. This is the point that I really want to drill home with a lot of those breeding and growing people on subtropical pastures in particular. Lactating mares, if you did join us a few weeks ago, I had one of those graphs for um, energy requirements as well. And there was quite a jump in energy requirements, not just the calcium requirements. 
So as lactating mares need more energy to fuel milk production, they eat more, so they consume more oxalate pastures. Um, as they consume more oxalate pastures, uh, less calcium is actually available to go into the milk um, and for the foal, so that can not only cause big head issues in your mare, but it can also lead to OCD and joint uh, development issues with your young horses as well. So it's kind of a double negative there. So then moving on to our high oxalate grasses, we've got a nice little graph here. And if we have a look at your subtropical and tropical grasses, so your dark green and your light green, this is where most of those high oxalate grasses are found. However, if we go down here to your temperate grasses, so down here um, through New South Wales, down to Victoria, we do have our kakuyu grasses there as well. Kakuyu, sorry. Um, so they're another grass to keep in mind. Um, and then all throughout here, we've got our orange, our yellow and orange, and you've got your buffalo grasses. So pretty much the gra this graph is telling us no one's safe, I think. <laughs> but there's different levels of oxalate in each grass, which we'll touch on as well. Yeah, so high oxalate grasses. So we're going to go through and have a look at these and just basically how to identify them a little bit, just a couple of quick points to look out for and, and sort of what they look like and, and where they are generally found. Just with those graphs as well, Haley and Maddie, uh, Sarah's just asking how there was a difference between the working horse requirements and the young horse. Were you talking about with, with going back to those graphs, uh, was it the requirements? Um, that maybe um, that one? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, she's just saying, uh, how's there a difference between calcium requirements for the work, working horse? Uh, 20 to 40 grams, but not in between the 18 month and 24 month old uh, young horse. Yeah, um, so with those horses, your ho they're still growing quite a lot um, up to say five years old. You know, you wouldn't consider a horse mature at 24 months old. So if you actually look there, um, those requirements, even though they're, um, they're lower, um, you know, if you look along orange there, especially 24 months old uh, onwards with your light and your heavier exercise, I don't know why they do look like they're actually the same level, don't they? But they're sort of in your high 30s anyway. They're not sitting at your 20 grams per day. Um, and actually, I took that data straight from the National Research Council. So I might even see if I did copy that down correctly. I did expect to see a little bit of a kick up um, with that exercise increasing, um, but there's really not much of a difference. Good question. We might have to review that one. Um, yeah, maybe I'll have to talk to the National Research Council. <laughs> oh, did you put the right numbers in here? Um, so back to our grasses. Yeah. Did you know this, Terry uh, Haley? Yes, sure. Ceteria, I see this one all the time. Um, I've seen this one down around Lismore. I've seen this one, um, you know, on the way up towards Bundaberg. Um, I see it all up and down the sunny coast. It's, it's everywhere and it's actually in our paddocks as well. Um, so Ceteria, there's actually a few different types of Ceteria varieties. Um, a lot of them are just referred to as Ceteria, but also purple pigeon grass is uh, uh, in that family as well something else known as golden millet. Um, they grow in tufts up to about two metres tall, um, but the most distinguishing feature is the seed heads on it. Quite long, about 18 centimetre long 
um, sort of cylindrical seed heads on them. Um, and they're distributed through tropical and subtropical regions. So right up and down the east coast of Queensland, um, eastern New South Wales as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's quite a distribution of that one. And, and that's a biggie. You know, the Ceteria, that's, that's probably one of your worst ones out there. And then we've also got our buffalo grass here. Um, so as you can see, they grow in those little tufts there. Um, they've got a fluffy seed head and they can be up to 15 centimetres long. Um, they're distributed around the Western Downs, Maranoa and Warrego. Um, so they're also quite high in oxalate, but not to the same level as Ceteria, but we'll touch on all of those a little later. Yeah, I think too with buffalo, how it differentiates to most other pastures around is where it's grown, I find, in the Western regions. Um, most people know that it's there and it seeds quite you know quite often throughout the year so it's very easy to spot it um, and yeah it's usually planted for for cattle pastures so most people know that it's there and those horses are on it you know all the time it's it's yeah. usually what they ran on so um kaikuyu um okay so this one is the biggie how maddie pointed out the green parts on that map earlier there is such a wide distribution of it. I see it all the time. It's one of the most common lawns out there, but it's also grown in a lot of old dairies. Um, shout out to you, Jessica, again. Um, and so, South and uh, Southern and Central Queensland, Eastern New South Wales, ACT, Tasmania, Victoria, South Australia, um, Southwest Western Australia, and Southern Northern Territory. Like that's massive. So even though you might be in more temperate climates, uh, you're not exempt from these issues and that's something that um, um, you know is really we need to be mindful of when we do have horses on these pastures um, and it's quite easy to distinguish as well um, creeping stems along the along the ground and quite um, quite a, a thick mat of vegetation um, and the flower is the third picture in there like the seed and it's quite um, you know you don't notice it so well it's quite a subtle subtle flower um, but in horse pastures you usually see it in the in the far right hand um, picture there the the longer and straggly type um, pasture there um, so paspalum so these are also grown in tufts similar to your buffalo grass um, the leaf is folded at the base um, which you can sort of see in that second picture there um, they do grow up to 1.5 meters tall so quite tall um, they have seed heads so here on this left left photo there, they um, get up to 2.5 to 11 centimetres long as well. Um, so this is distributed wide, it's widespread, um, mostly eastern Queensland, eastern New South Wales, southeast South Australia, southwest Western Australia. Yeah, so panic varieties. Um, there was a gentleman, and I'm sorry, I saw your name pop up there before, um, asking about Bambatsi. So Bambatsi is actually a panic variety as well, um, sort of in that family. But um, your guinea grass, your green panic, and your gatton panic are all quite similar grasses. Your guinea grass is, is really quite tall, um, up to three metres tall, usually around the two metres though. Your green panic's a little bit shorter, so probably mostly your 1.8 to your two metres tall. Um, and then your gatton panic is sort of you're looking at about one, one and a half meters tall, but all have that similar shaped seed head. 
um, and quite widely distributed as well. They have really long leaves on them, um, mainly the guinea grass up to 100 centimetres long. So it's quite a significant grass um, and you can usually tell that one by the seed head. And then signal grass. So similar to the paspalum, the seed head here, so they've got several branches of seed heads all on the same side of the stem. Um, so it looks very similar to the paspalum just from looking at it. Um, the stems close to ground near base and they turn upwards. They grow up to 1.5 metres tall as well. And they're quite widespread, um, but mostly eastern Queensland and northeast New South Wales and a little bit more inland as well. Yeah. So um, I know we just breezed through that and it's so important to know um, what, our, what pastures we have on, in our horse paddocks. So if you're needing any more information, I'll get Mitch to send these ones out, these links out to you um, on Monday. Otherwise, go to your local produce or your rural store. They should know a lot of this stuff. If not, they'll at least be able to point you in the right direction. Um, and also local council websites as well. Um, Brisbane Council website was what I used to get quite a lot of those pictures and quite a lot of that identification information of those grasses. Um, and feed Excel. It's a wealth of knowledge for so many things, but also pastures and high oxalates and, you know, all of that, all the good stuff. And any articles we can find as well, girls, we'll put in the Monday wrap-up just to um, help out. Yeah. 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 Sounds perfect. Um, I can't remember if this is you or me, Maddie, but um, you can go. Okay, I can do it, yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about oxalates, but we've not really said how it, like how they function, how it works and how it affects your horse. So in your normal circumstances, um, the horse will eat the pasture containing calcium. This calcium is just absorbed from the small intestine. Um, the calcium is used by the horse, so this maintains the blood calcium levels to homeostasis. Um, calcium is then not calcium that's not required is then stored in the bone or excreted via the kidneys. Um, however, if your horse is on high oxalate subtropical pastures, what happens is the calcium in the pasture is bound to the oxalate. So the calcium mean then is not able to be absorbed from the small intestine. It's, it's pretty much blocked from moving anywhere. So now that there's no calcium being moved into the blood um, bloodstream, the calcium has to be removed pretty much from the bone um, to remain these blood calcium levels. Um, so therefore, that's when your bones become weak, the facial bones expand, um, the horse's behaviour changes and all those signs that we talked about in the first slide, um, this is when they begin to show. And actually, um, just on that too, I remember asking the question, you know, a while ago, why, why can't it be um, absorbed when it's bound to the oxalates? And and I mean, we could probably go into depth quite a lot about that, but my understanding is that the molecules are actually just too big. Um, yeah. Either the molecule size, sorry, molecule size, or it comes down to just not having the cell receptors to go through that cell membrane exchange. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, they're just not available for, for uptake. Uh, that's my favourite table, Maddie. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay, so Haley was fantastic. She found this table and then added her own little bit of artistic um, bits throughout it. So when we're talking about the calcium and oxalate and how they affect each other, so if we use the roads here as an example, so it's got 0.8% calcium. Um, however, in it, it also has 0.45% oxalate. 
So the calcium availability is only 76%. So rather than having 0.8 calcium readily available for the horse, they end up having only 0.61 pretty much percent. Um, so if we go down to, let's say, our buffalo grass, we've got 0.4% calcium. However, it's got 1.06% oxalate. So the calcium availability is reduced significantly down to 17%. So from that 0.4% calcium available over here, we end up only having 0.068, which is almost next to nothing. Um, and then if we go down to our cetarium, so we've got 0.27% calcium and our ocean chaff here is 0.11, so almost less than half pretty much. However, the oxalate in our cetaria grass is 1.6%, but in ocean chaff only 0.08. So if 100% of that calcium is available, so the 0.11, they're getting all of that calcium. But because there's 1.6% oxalate and calcium availability is 0%, they get nothing from the cetaria grass. So even though there's more calcium here, they have nothing available to them. And even though this is such a small amount here, they've got all of it available for them in the oat and chaff. Um, so that just puts it into perspective, the amount of calcium that may already be there, but the, the amount that's actually available to the horse. Yeah, and that, um, that scenario is taken away from the calcium to phosphorus ratio as well. So that's a whole other kettle of fish in this situation. Um, but it's just interesting to see how much is actually available. And also looking at Kaikuyu, um, it didn't have a huge amount of calcium in it to start with, uh, but only 20% calcium availability. So you only got 0.05, what is that, parts per million um, mm. or 0.5 parts per million in, um, you know, actually available in Kaikuyu, which is really quite low. Um, so that's a really cool little table to to really look at that. And I wish it was a little bit um, more extensive and had yeah. every grass there available. <laughs> but I'm sorry, that's the best I could do. <laughs> no, I like that. It's, it's pretty cool to see the relationship that people do think that they might be getting that calcium through the roughage. But when you're breaking it down like that with the relationship mm -hmm. between calcium and oxalate, um, yeah, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, um, prevention is better than cure. So going back to when we touched on the imbalance of calcium to phosphorus ratio, if you've got too much phosphorus compared to your calcium, um, you need to reevaluate the diet. So this one is definitely not near as common as the second type of beef head that we mentioned with the oxalate pastures, which is why we focused on it so heavily today. Um, so decrease the phosphorus in the diet and although Maddie said that the calcium availability in your oat and chaff or your oat and hay is a lot higher, it's actually got a lot more phosphorus than it does calcium. So if you're feeding just that, your calcium to phosphorus ratio is going to be imbalanced. So a lot of grains and grain byproducts have an inverse relationship of calcium to phosphorus. They have too much phosphorus and not enough calcium. So you either need to feed a roughage that's high in calcium or supplement calcium some way. Um, so legume haze and loosen hay in particular is very, very high in calcium. Um, that is my go-to for sure to help try and bring that balance back into check. Um, so the same again, oxalate pastures trying to prevent it. Uh, supplementing with alternate roughage again. So loosen hay. Um, I love it two times even more now because when your horses are eating loose and hay, they're filling up on that as a roughage and they're not eating as much pasture. They're not eating as much oxalate-containing pasture. 
So not only are they reducing their oxalate intake, they're increasing their calcium intake. So it's a very, very important step one if you do have any of these problems. Um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head now who said about um, your horse already showing signs of big head. Loosen hay. Loosen hay, loosen hay, loosen hay as your number one. Um, and then you want to look at supplementing your calcium and its cofactors as well in a balanced ration. So again, we mentioned earlier magnesium, uh, vitamin D and zinc as very important cofactors um, for absorbing calcium um, and also having that ratio right. So enough uh, phosphorus, because phosphorus is important as well, and in oxalate pastures, um, they'll generally, or they could be low in phosphorus as well. Um, so just having all of that balanced properly, and that's where the high cal balancer comes into play, um, which Maddie will elaborate on that one a little bit more. So here's pretty much everything to do with the high cal. So we've got our feeding rates here, and one of the I think amazing things about it is it's such a small feeding rate just to help them have all of those vitamins and minerals um, balanced. Um, and then here on the right, we've just got the ingredients. So I know in the last webinar, people were sort of asking what's in the products and stuff like that. So we thought we'd put that there so everyone can see it. This is all on our website too. So it's all available. You can see everything that's in it. Um, and if we have a look here, um, for a horse and light exercise, they need 120 grams per 100 kilogram of their body weight. So for a 500 kilogram horse, it's only 600 grams. And for a dipper, it's 1.5. So you're feeding less than half a dipper um, a day to have that all balanced. Yeah. Yep. And you're looking at the top, like a maximum of one kilo a day with your high cal, um, you know, to prevent it. And a dipper of that is 1.4 kilos. And a dipper for us, that's our standard size. It's a two liter dipper. Um, that's 1.4 kilos. So you're feeding less than a dipper a day um, if you're not feeding any other hard feeds. And that's where our sliding scale system comes into play, which has been mentioned time and time again in, in many, of our, many of our webinars. But yeah, you're feeding less than a dipper a day for a 500 kilo horse. Just to let people know as well, uh, based around how we've designed feeding programs and our products in particular, um, it probably isn't super relevant because we're talking about a super specific product here. But with our balances, we do have consistent feeding rates in between the balances, minus the 300 elite pellet, which is super concentrated. So when you look at the 150 essential, the high cow, the lush, the dry, which is a stud balancer, um, they're all fairly consistent with what you'll be feeding when you're going through light, moderate, intense work. Uh, the reason for that is that you can chop and change in between them and you're not having to recalculate the feeding rate. So... Um, that's one thing that we've thought about to make uh, your life a little bit simpler. And also that has the same effect with our performance feeds as well. So as we talk about uh, things with um, easy response and easy result, they have a fairly consistent feeding rate. So you can move in between them and, and work out the, the balance that you would like to have as well. Mm. Yeah, just thought I'd add, add that one in. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Actually, Libby just said this product has been a lifesaver for me. So... That is so awesome to hear, Libby. That is just amazing. And we'll be hearing from um, a couple of people too in a minute um, who've, well, one lady in particular who uses the high cal. So hi, Aralu, and I hope you're ready. We'll be talking to you in a second. <laughs> so here's just a wide range of um, a variety of feeds. So you've got your full feed balancer or both. Um, so those worried about big head or high oxalate pastures, you can feed your full feed. And like Hala was saying, loosen, 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 um, especially for your roughage. 
Um, if you're feeding less than the recommended rate, throw in your high cal there and that's using that balancer scale as well. Um, and that's, yeah, you can feed both. So you can feed your full feed with your balancer to help with those pastures and your big head problems. And it becomes more of an issue when you are solely feeding uh, your, your pick in the paddock. So the more that you go away from having a, a grassy loosened hay plus your hard feed, then the, the intake of the horse with the requirements that it needs is more in line with what it needs to be. When you start to rely on the, the pick in the paddock and, and getting the conditioning solely off that, that's where the implications come from um, with having that imbalance and, and issues with big heads. So uh, just be aware of that as you put your horse through more work, obviously there's gonna be a hard, more hard feed. Um, and then the roughage component, if you are feeding a hay or a chaff, um, then that's going to con contribute to have that balance correct. Yeah, definitely. And that's usually when I see issues too, um, is when people, are, they're just not hard feeding or they're not feeding anything. Their horses are just in the pasture. Um, but Mitch, are you able to join Araluen to our chat, please? This is Araluen and Lou Rel. Uh, Araluen, if you can just hit your mute button on your computer, and it might come up. It should be down the bottom left-hand corner. Hello. 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 <laughs> I, I'm in the darkness here. I don't know if you can see me, but I can hear you. Okay. Well, Would we you can... like us to put the video on, or are you just happy with your... Oh, no, I, I'm fine talking. I'm I'm actually walking around with the baby attached, so she stays asleep, so... <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Well, um, just so, just for the other listeners out there, Araluen called me, oh, quite a few months ago, and um, she'd had some issues with Big Head with Ralph. So can you just tell us um, Ralph's story, um, maybe how he came to have Big Head? Obviously, you're down in Lismore. Um, yes. So what sort of pastures do you have around there and what were you feeding him um, beforehand? Okay, so it's mainly Kaikuyu here. It is a dairy farming country. Um Kaikuyu and Soteria, but he came from the Hawkesbury region and I'm fairly sure he was just being fed some sort of hay there. Um, so he was about two when I got him and so brought him up here, supplemented him with um, Agline because that's what the vet recommended, the local vet. Um, and yeah, he quickly developed the condition, yeah. um, that you see now. Um, so I thought I was doing the right thing, mm -hmm. throwing a bit of ag lime in his food. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it appears not. So yeah, like you were saying, Haley, whether he was lacking before or, yeah, uh, I, on the verge of um because he didn't come with symptoms did he no no in that i don't know if you've got that first picture yeah. handy there but um yeah he certainly didn't have the condition when i got him yeah, yeah. um but yeah not long after being up here he started developing it and 
his his breathing was affected as well. Um, that since subsided um, since I've had him on the high cal pellets. But yeah, he he used to um, he used to sort of almost yeah struggle to breathe and uh, yeah his nose has exploded as you can see. So. But I, I believe it is getting better. Um, and just having that experience with that other mare that I told you about, um, I sort of keep and keep going with it. But um, it does take a long time. Yeah. It was sort of... Um, Can you tell us how long it took with your mare? So Arilowen actually had a big head horse that she rescued um, quite a while ago. And... Um, she definitely, she fixed this horse with ag lime, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Aralewin, but she corrected this horse and, and the horse's facial bones actually went back to normal. But how long they did they take? I, I would say a good 12 months before I saw any difference. Yeah. Um, and the vet himself said that I wouldn't change it. He said I'd only prevent it from getting worse. Um... And, yeah, it, it, a lot of people were negative about it. Um, but, yeah, good 12 months and I started to see changes. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, of course, that, the, in the pictures you can see the difference. Um, you wouldn't really be able to tell. Now, I, I can still see a little bit of the swollen bones, but... Um, nothing like what she was when I first got her. Yeah, so obviously you did the same with little Ralph as you did with this mare, but it wasn't mm. like... Um, did you say like he, just, he was sifting the powders out? He just wasn't eating them? Yeah, he just would not eat the powder, no. Um, whereas the pellets, the, the high-cal pellets, he will eat. Um, so at least I know he's getting it into his system. Um, I, I have tried mixing the powders in with molasses, but, um, yeah, sometimes they just won't even eat that, you know, that they can get fussy. It's, it has got a very, they have got a very strong smell, the powders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Well, mm. uh, I'm certainly interested to hear the rest of Ralph's journey and, and um, through his improvements and that. And, He's just such a little cutie. I mean, I just yeah. love him a big cuddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping he gets better. And um, I mean, that that breathing has gotten better. He's not struggling to breathe anymore. So I, I believe he is getting better. But whether or not his bones actually change like the mare, um, I'm not sure. But I continue on with it, and yeah keep you updated um so what have you done aside from just feeding him the high cow so how, you've taken him off the pastures now yeah yeah okay. off um the grass altogether so he only gets loosened mm -hmm. um so yeah that's sort of how i combated it with the mare um it's a bit expensive that way but um it, yeah, it's. I was persistent and it paid off. There were times there where I thought, you know, she, nothing was going to change and 
she would remain the same. Uh, but I persisted and, and I was very strict with it. And, uh, yeah, it paid off. So I'm really hoping the same thing happens with Ralph. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's hope and pray that he definitely um, has a full recovery in time and, you know, maybe give him the full 12 months as well. And Yes, yes. But, um, exactly and I, I think the interesting part is I've got two other horses that um haven't developed the condition or and are in the same paddock so I don't know yeah. what's going yeah. on there but um it seems uh some horses are sensitive to it and others aren't yeah, and actually that's um, that's quite an interesting thing and that was one of our questions that came in on registration. Um, who was that, Mitch, asking about? That was probably me. That was probably <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, so <laughs> why, um, why some horses are more susceptible to big head than others. And, you know, I'm actually asked that quite often too. And at the end of the day... I put it down to some horses are just generally softer. Some, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, but also some horses seek out different pastures as well. Some like the taste of safer you a lot more than. I have been told that also. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you know, a preference thing. I don't know. Maybe you've got an yeah. add to that, Mitch. So that one's more sorry, Hayley. Um, if you can add to that, why it affects some horses more than others? Yeah, that's that's for me. That's a bit of an unknown as well. It's um, yeah, as as everyone would know that each horse does have a bit of a separate situation to itself. So it's um, it's a tricky one because yeah, you you think that that all be affected the same, but like what you're saying, even the guys out west with the Buffalo Country, um, they have large number of horses sitting out there and. They do get affected differently, but um, yeah, there's no real hard or fast rule with why that ha actually happens, from my understanding. Yeah, and Bethany just suggested, um, would it be due to his age? And and yes, age would definitely be one of the contributing factors. You know, as we saw in those graphs, um, young horses or lactating mares, for example, have significantly higher requirements of calcium. Um, mm. A horse in 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 maintenance, you know, not growing, not developing something sort of over the age of maybe five to seven um, years old they're going to be a lot less susceptible but nonetheless they're still at risk of it so um, well that is really awesome we might wrap it up with that we've got a couple of people yeah have sure thank you so much Good. for coming thank you very much no worries Letting Good to talk. Talk. <laughs> <laughs> no worries Hayley I'll talk to you soon okay thanks Arlo, and have Hello. a good day. bye you too. Bye. Um, awesome. Okay. So um, I'd also lined up Karen up in Darwin. Um, so Karen's actually one of our sponsored riders. If you're ready there, Karen, if Mitch can maybe get you hooked up. Um, so I had an interesting chat with Karen. Um, actually, it was only earlier this week and, and she was letting me know about some of the different haze that they have available up there. And and there just seems to be quite a different, um, quite a different array of, of of issues that they face. So, hi Karen, thanks for for sitting and chatting with us too. Hi, how are you going? Oh, good, thank yeah. you. Um, so you 
were telling me about some of the different hays that are actually available up there. But before we get into that, tell us, what is it like? What is the climate? What's your, your rainfall? What's your pastures like up there? Okay, so it's um, obviously being a tropical area, it's, um, it's really hot and humid for half of the year. So that can be really, really challenging for our horses. Um, we have a very clear wet and dry season as opposed to uh, southern states having their four seasons. Um, our, but leading into our wet season, we have a couple of months of, of the build-up, which is really, really, really tough on a lot of horses because it's really hot and humid, but the rain hasn't started. So it's quite torturous, really. Um, a typical wet season for us, we'd probably get about 1,800 mils of rain. Although last year was our second driest on record, apparently. So it's pretty dry here at the moment. Yeah. All right. So um, you were saying that you're in a bit of a semi-rural area and there's really not a lot of pastures around for yourself or anyone else um, in that region. Um, so generally most people feed more hay than they rely on pastures is that right yeah so naturally the grass here is really just spear grass and scrub so there's nothing really very beneficial in most of the most people's paddocks unless they specifically plant improved pasture which obviously is time consuming takes a while to to establish and can cost a fair bit of money so a lot of people most people here hard feed and feed a lot of hay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just to try and keep up the roughage yeah right. what sort of hays do you feed up there because you were telling me how um how lucerne can be a little bit difficult to get your hands on yeah lucerne hay is um really expensive up here like typically you'd be paying 35 to 38 dollars a bale it's not sometimes it's a bit hard to get as well so a lot of people don't feed lucerne hay there's a lot of other grass hays that, that people tend to feed, like Pangola, Humidicola, and Jarrah. There's a couple of other ones that I'm not overly familiar with. But, um, yeah, so we feed a lot of those hays, which are just grass hay, and, you know, most of them, most horses can tolerate a lot of it, and it doesn't, doesn't tend to affect their energy levels or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I did think it was quite interesting. So a lot of those hays um, are actually, they're tropical grasses. So they do have oxalates in them as well. And and by no means are they as bad as your ceteri and your buffer with your um, lack of available calcium. But it's certainly something to be mindful of as well up there. But in saying that too, you said most people hard feed. So Mitch mentioned to us a little while ago how when you're hard feeding your horses you tend to really reduce the risk of your big head because they're eating less pasture and you're actually up, bringing up the calcium levels for sure um yeah can you elaborate a bit more on that mitch yeah that's uh well it's pretty much it there if you if you're eliminating the the pick in the paddock then um you're eliminating the big head issues and the risk with um having that calcium deficiency so um, as the workload increases and you're having to supplement in that way, um, it, it just provides a little bit better environment where you're going to reduce those instances. So, yeah, yeah that's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
No, I just thought that was really cool to see that there's actually different types of haze up there available and, and that they actually are oxalate containing haze. So, um, but you did say that there's not really a huge amount, a huge instance of big head that you see out there, Karen? Yeah, so as I said the other day, I was chatting to my vet and I personally haven't seen any horses or heard of any horses with it up here. Um, and she said she was saying to me that it, she's seen some, but it's fairly rare and pretty much comes down to the fact that, as you guys have just alluded to, most people here are hard feeding because we don't have natural pasture. Um, so most people are hard feeding a, a, um, a complete feed anyway, and almost everybody supplements with hay. Some people obviously supplement with a bit of loosened hay, and some people feed loosened chaff. Um, so yeah, it seems that although we've got the oxalate in the hay, we're getting around it. I guess it's, um, just because we most people here will hard feed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and your horse is absolutely beautiful. Look at the shine in that, uh, right hand photo. What, who is this horse? Tell me about him. So this is Oki. She's my chestnut thoroughbred mare. So I've got the ultimate trio. I've had her for about 16 months now. She's she is so cute. She's such a lovely mare, but oh my goodness, she's a chestnut mare, so let's not ever underestimate that. Um, yeah, so she absolutely thrives on the sport. She gets easy sport um, and the easy fibre, and she always gets uh, polished and easy light up here, always. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's awesome. So your easy fibre and your easy sport are definitely both quite high in calcium because they're based on that loose and leaf meal as well. And um, and you said you feed uh, pangola grass hay, is that right? Yeah, I typically feed humidicola, but I will happily swap between pangola and humidicola depending on what's actually available at the time of the year. Yeah. Um, I've also fed the jarrah as well they seem to be able to switch between those hays really, really quite easily. So um, twice a day, every time they get fed, they all get, they always get hay as well. So, cause at my place, even though I'm on a, you know, six acre block, it's really just bushy scrubs. So there's not, there's no green pick. There's no nice grass for them at all. So always got hay. That's nice. Love it. Well, we've got one more person to talk to, so we might wrap that up and then get into the Q&A, so it doesn't go too long. But thank you so much again for telling us about um, your little your little mare. Sounds like <laughs> a little handful, but she looks really cute and really beautiful, and you're obviously doing something right, so that's awesome. But no, thank you, Karen. Appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks. Karen. Okay. Uh, I just had a quick look in the Q&A, and it looks like uh, Anna might be having some issues with the audio. Oh, okay. Um, she's saying I'm here, but I can't get the audio happening. So um, we might just skip over that, unfortunately, if that's oh, all right. She said, all good. Um, you girls want to dive into Q&A and we'll finish it off? Yeah, um, Anna just said that she's there. If she can have a quick chat. We can give it a go. Yep. I'm all good now. Uh, we've got some really good questions coming in on the registration Q&A. Hey, Maddie. Yes, we do. Um, Anna, hi. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Um, oh, great. Awesome. So really, really quick for anyone who's listening. Um, Anna is an equine dentist based in southern Brisbane. 
Um, and also, I didn't realise, Anna, you're a Fitbitter. A bit fitter, yeah. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Yes, just did my final exam today. And, um, yes, so that's that's all happening. So, yeah. That's awesome. So I wanted to talk to you, and you know why, but tell everyone else what you've been seeing in the last couple of weeks, where and why. Well, I can tell you what I've been seeing. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I've got theories. So I've been seeing a lot of big head cases, clinically really obvious big head cases. I think I see it, and I think it's around more than we know, but clinically sometimes you don't get the presentation of the, the you know, the bone deposits on the, on the head. Um, I've seen probably like a dozen in the last couple of weeks, mostly around southeast Queensland, so Redlands area, um, mostly where there's tropical grasses on co- in coastal areas. So I'm not seeing it much. The further west I go, the less I see it. Um, but certainly it's really prevalent along the coast. And I think that's probably because we had quite a bit of rain. So I think when we have a rain event um, and the new pastures coming up, they're eating more of it. I don't know. I, I think people stop feeding hay as well because they go, oh, we've got plenty of pasture. So they don't feed hay or they reduce the amount of hard feed the horse is getting. But yeah, so that's been really interesting. I can't quite say why it is, but it's certainly very noticeable in the last probably month. Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating. Actually, we had a question come in about um, why um, why you tend to see big head more with green shoots. Yeah, I think um, Myra was saying that one there. She was saying, does oxalate grasses affect horses more when there's green shoots coming through? Yeah, yeah. And um, we were actually discussing that before our webinar. Um, Maddie, did you want to talk about that really briefly, what we were talking with the calcium uptake in new, new grasses? I don't know too much about it, so you might have to butt in, Haley. but was it the calcium concentrate was... So with the calcium, what, what actually happens, so with Lush, our Lush um, balancer pellet, for example, it has high amounts of calcium because the calcium uh, comes through the pasture at a slower rate when there's a flush of feed. Um, so that's where those imbalances come from, which probably makes sense, that combination with what you girls were talking about. Uh, having access to calcium first off and then the oxalate on top of that sort of shows the availability between the two. Um, so that probably does explain when you do have that hit of long grass, green grass coming through, how that actually impacts the big head. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So, um, yeah, having the fresh flush of green grass, it uptakes calcium a lot slower. So those pastures will be quite uh, higher in phosphorus, but not only will the oxalate be there, but there'll be less calcium available. Um, so there's one theory for you, Anna. Um, but also, do you know what these people are feeding or if they're not feeding or like, do you see any common trends between these particular cases that you've noticed? Yeah, look, for the most part, none of them are supplementing specifically for calcium, phosphorus and other business. Um, a lot of them are just hard feeding in general, but look, to be honest, most of them aren't. Most of those wolves are just on pasture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And because the tropical areas around here, like because we're a subtropical climate, there is heaps. We get rain and we, you know, as you know, there's heaps of pasture. Yeah, and horses. Um, yeah, and it was funny because the one in the paddock, the worst one that I've seen, I took photos of, it was quite bad. Um, he's been like that for five or six years with these huge deposits 
the owner said that he walks around actually picking off the Ceteria seed heads and eating them and no other horses do that in, on the property. Mm. Um, how this horse survived with such severe big head for so long, I don't know. But um, I, I told them to get a vet out to see the horse and the vet said, yeah, it's the worst case that they've ever seen. Mm. Um, but it's just interesting. That's the only horse in the paddock that has it. And they're in, in a 50 acre paddock and there's about 20 or 30 horses in there. Yeah, that's really fascinating, isn't it? Um, cool. Okay. Well, common trends: people not feeding their horses, or at least not supplementing. Um, are they feeding yep. any of the roughage that you know, or it's literally just in the paddock and fend for themselves? Look, I think it's pretty much fend for yourself, or every second or third day we'll throw some chaff at you. Um, mm -hmm. That's probably about the extent of it, because most of the case. Oh, look, I did see one case that is a very well-loved pony and is getting fed. Um, but it's not, it's on quite a limited diet because it is a laminitic pony. So that's quite restricted in terms of what it gets. So I think they'd try, I mean, they've been avoiding things like white chaffs and stuff, but they haven't been specifically feeding for big head. Yeah. 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 Well, it might be a good suggestion for those people to feed a loosen or a grassy loosen to that laminitic pony and, and maybe something like easy keeper, um, based on loosen yeah. Higher in calcium, they may need a calcium supplement as well on top of that because um, with being laminitic, um, they, they need to avoid all grain and grain byproducts. So that would include the high cal. So yeah, yeah. first point of call for sure. Um, okay, well, we've got a long lineup of questions and they're all really good ones. So we probably better wrap that up. But thank you again for, for coming on with us tonight and having a chat. And it's interesting to see how prevalent it really is and, and it was an eye-opener for me for sure when you said how how many cases you've actually seen in the last little while. Mm. Yeah, it's been more than the last 10 years. It's It's been really strange. I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, thank you yeah. very much for your help though. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, we'll talk soon anyway. Thank Please you, Anne. Thanks, Hayley. Okay, bye. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. And even with um, what Araluan was talking about with the, the long-term strategy with what she's had um trying to get that right over a 12 month period it, it is a thing that you need to think about for the long term yeah for sure yeah. um okay i love the questions but i can't remember them um well we can quickly go through them if you want girls i'll read them out um tomorrow's that was the one that we just covered off from uh does a oxalate does oxalate affect the horse uh when there's a green shift so we did cover off on that one uh, Kate was asking, uh, is big head an issue with alternative pasture, if that's available? Um, so one of you girls want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, sorry, Maddie, I'm really taking the lead here. But, um, <laughs> you know, I sort of, I read that question and the only thing I thought was how long is a piece of string? Um, it really depends on your concentrations of what varieties you have in the pasture there. Um, I'm going to say you could nearly be okay. Uh, I know Nerida, our nutritionist, says if there's any um, ceteria in the pasture, just take the horses out until the ceteria is gone. Um, but if you're, if you're really worried, get your pastures tested. Um, if you're really, really worried, take the ceteria out. Um, but you're certainly not going to be at as high a risk as you would with, say, all ceteria or kaikuya and ceteria like Araluen had, um, you know, so I want to say it's, it's 
not as bad, but it really depends how much you have there and how much you're feeding and if you are supplementing with any other um, calcium or um, high cal supplements. Um, if you're feeding something like that, you would, I would put money on the fact that it'd be safe if you're at least hard feeding, feeding a bit of leucine and possibly feeding a, a calcium supplement such as your high cal. Uh, Monica, she's asking uh, management of grass with affected horses. So um, pretty much with what you're saying there, Haley. if you can firstly identify with what the pasture is, if it's uh, high risk with the oxalate, then uh, you can take them off it. You can bring in the roughage as well. That definitely helps out. And with what we spoke about before, as your hard feed, as the workload increases, that's going to take away from the calcium deficiencies that might be coming off the pasture alone. So there's a couple of strategies that you can do with that, but just understanding the situation first off with what you have in your paddock would be a starting point. And then um, working out how much of the pasture contribution is coming from the roughage that you're feeding the pick and the paddock, the chaff. And then if there's any calcium coming through with a hard feed, which should be coming through if it is complete. Um, do you girls have anything else you'd like to add, add with that one? Um, it depends on your situation as well. Um, and there is another question about feeding large amounts of horses, um, you know, when you've got heaps of horses, how to manage it. Uh, if you are, say, in a rural or a semi-rural area and you have other livestock, um, and if they can be grazed with your horses, keeping those pasture levels down um, is going to help as well um, to manage that. And it's certainly not going to fix it, but if that is an option, um, you know, grazing cattle on your, your horse pastures, that's something that Pete Comiskey says that, that he does, which helps with, um, you know, his, his feeding horses in buffalo country, um, feeds his cattle on those pastures and keeps it really nice and short and, and then brings his horses in and hard feeds every day. So that's an option. Uh, and also with the hard feed aspect as well, we do have high cal in 500 kilo bulk bags. So if you are looking at wanting to find a hard feed option, then that can be a little bit more economical. Mm -hmm. um, but the combination of with what you've just spoken about, Haley, and, and that would work. Um, there's one here talking about what to feed, uh, what to feed to give a, a horse prone to lemonitis grazing subtropical pasture, which is a bit of a tricky one. Mm, that, is uh, really that is a tricky one. Um, well, you'd probably tackle it from two different things. If you're looking at the, the lemonitic aspect, then you'd have to take things out uh, that have grain or grain byproducts. So the high cow, unfortunately, does have cereal components through it, which isn't suited for lemonitic horses. An alternative with what I've heard, uh, they can feed the Easy Sport or Easy Keeper as the base ration. Easy Keeper is good for those good doers. Uh, if you're wanting to find a bit more of a full feed, then Easy Sport's another good option. And then using that ag line over the top of the ration, um, it's not ideal, but if you do have a, a critical situation where you need to get that calcium through, uh, that can be a nice strategy. And then on top of that, your heart, your, your roughage as well. So just feeding lots and lots of grassy loosen. Um, and the combination of those three things there should be able to help out with the cause. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Jessica just asked really quick, do you have any other calcium supplements uh, in the long and short of it? No. Um, yeah, we've got other hard feeds for sure, but no other specific supplements, just the high cal 
um, in the form of a balanced pellet, so not just a calcium salt, but all the other vitamins and minerals as well. We've got a couple of questions. Um, we've got, it's talking about when feeding calcium supplement, must it contain something to ensure absorption? And also another one talking about uh, what does it mean uh, with chelated calcium? Is that actually beneficial? Uh, do you girls know anything about that? Yeah, um, Maddie, if you want to do this one, I know you read a lot about chelated calcium. Yes, so chelated calcium, there's a lot of human studies out there, not so much the equine, which just seems to be the case um, for most nutritional aspects of, of the horse. However, theoretically, chelated calcium sounds like it should be really good. So anything, any mineral that's chelated has sort of the amino acids, so your protein building blocks attached to it. Um, so the belief is that with all these proteins, these amino acids, sorry, attached to the calcium, they should be more absorbable or more bioavailable in the small intestine to be absorbed by the body. Um, so that's a theoretical. So the National Research Council had that in there. However, studies have shown, I think it was Highfields, a 2005 study, they didn't notice any difference between the chelated calcium absorption with the calcium carbonate. Um, so it's sort of one of those ones that it's a little bit up in the air at the moment. Um, some weighted minerals, they did notice an uptake in. So I, I think from memory, it was the chelated zinc. They noticed a more um, uptake rather than just the zinc itself, um, but not so much on the chelated calcium by itself, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. In the first part of the question, um, what was that? The do you need to feed anything else? Well, I think we covered that one in the presentation, making sure those cofactors were there, making sure your phosphorus was not too high. Um, yeah, your vitamin D is the, the accepted thing as well. Vitamin D, your zinc and your magnesium. So I think we covered that one fairly well in the presentation. So. Yep. We might do one more and um, wrap it up after this one. It's from Tanya. She's just asking what pride feeds uh, are the best for combating behaviour with lush spring dairy pasture? Uh, it's a bit of an open-ended question. It's difficult to answer that one. Um, the, the first thing you'd probably want to do is just firstly look at the, the type of pasture that you have in your paddock. So if you can speak to, like what the girls were talking about, if you speak to your, your produce store, they will have a fairly good understanding with what's in the area, uh, if it's high oxalate, if it's something else. Uh, or even just get them to come on farm and and uh, and have a look with what you're doing. And then talking about behaviour, again, it's a, it's an independent situation with the horse. Uh, horses react differently to to the flush of grass and also intolerance with grain. So, and even if there's a history of lemonitis tying up, um, then you sort of lean different ways with hard feed. So that's one thing that will that we will be covering off uh, in the last week before spring kicks off. So we'll be doing a complete overhaul with what, what the balances are, uh, with what you can feed through the season, uh, what you'd be doing if you're underfeeding. So if you'd like to check that out, we'll be um, doing a lot of troubleshooting and, and explaining those different situations to, to hopefully give you the right result with what you're after. Um, but yeah, that, that is a bit of a tricky one to answer. If you don't mind, I actually, I, I'm sort of thinking back to quite a lot of reading that I've done, but... Um, so what did you say? Flush pasture, um, old dairy farm, um, you know. In combating behaviour as well. 
Yeah. Okay. So I do remember reading something and I can't quite substantiate it um, with a whole bunch of confidence, but I know there's a lot of studies on magnesium related to um, behavior. So magnesium affects your nerve function. Um, magnesium and calcium obviously have that link as well. Um, being an old dairy um, pasture and being flush pasture, flush green. So they would probably, I'd put money on the fact that they're lacking in calcium as well. Um, and they could be oxalate pastures. So your horses could be lacking calcium and magnesium. Um, they might be having quite a lot of phosphorus uptake with those pastures as well. And also quite a lot of energy intake with fresh green uh, grasses. That's actually quite high in energy. So it could be one of those things. It could be all of those things. Um, uh, like we mentioned before, the high cal does have your calcium, your magnesium and your zinc. Um, in the right ratio so that could be a go-to but as mitch said you'd probably need to look into that a little bit more in depth before you just went out and bought some feeds so um you know a lot of the time when someone says what should i feed my horse it's not just a straightforward answer we've got to ask 10 million questions to get you what actually works for you so i'd look into it further but that's just some food for thought as well um what comes to mind yeah no, i think that's um Mm -hmm. That was a pretty good session. Yeah. Um, I think there's so many questions we didn't get to answer. <laughs> but what we can do, um, keep an eye out with our Monday wrap-up email come through. And what we can do, girls, we can go over the questions to see if there's anything we have missed. Mm -hmm. And then we can put that in the detail as well for the, for the Monday email. Yeah, actually, Caroline said in the Q&A, would it be worth consulting a local agronomist rather than relying on a feed store guy? Uh, yes, most rural stores have, um, you know, contacts with agronomists. A lot of them do have an agronomist on site. If it's a rural store, such as a, uh, I probably better not mention any stores because other ones will get upset if I don't. But um, yes, an agronomist is certainly the way to go, I would think. And just on that as well, when you're talking about the calcium phosphorus ratio being imbalanced, uh, from what I've heard on stud farms as well, with the wrong application of fertilisers with high phosphorus in it, that causes the imbalance. So that's another little thing that, to think about if you are fertilising and trying to get lush pasture coming through in your country. Uh, just speak to an agronomist, get your soil tested to see with what's deficient and doesn't have the right balance. And then you can put the right application of fertiliser on to, to combat that as well for your horses. Yeah. Um, I think that was good. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. Thank you everyone for tuning in and uh, keep an eye out for Monday. And uh, hopefully we can see you next Thursday as well. I think actually it will be a different time. It's going to be on Tuesday. So uh, we'll put out the, the links for so on social tomorrow. And uh, we'll be chatting to the girls in New South Wales and Victoria about the relationship between the vet and farrier with lemonitis and uh, hopefully set that up for the, the following week when we speak about everything related to spring feeding as well. So awesome. looking forward to it. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Good job, girls. Uh, Karen, Anna and Araluen, you ladies did great. Thanks for joining. <laughs> yep. Very good. Speak soon. Yeah. See you, everyone. Thank you.